I just want Patrick uh, to call missed field goals. Wide left. <laughs> you look like you could play for St. Mary's right now with that stash. I know so much useless stuff. <laughs> That's the title of the show today, Jason. <laughs> I know so much useless stuff. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. We spoke with former NFL MVP, Super Bowl champion, Pro Football Hall of Famer, BYU all-time great Steve Young yesterday and discussed everything from Zach Wilson's perfect spot in the NFL to BYU's new offensive coordinator and would Steve ever take the offensive line coach job at BYU? All things on the table. Here is that conversation with Steve Young on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Steve, BYU just finished a season with their fourth highest ranking in program history. Ironically enough, just behind your senior season in 1983 when you and the Cougars finished number seven. Oh, you're going to bring up Baylor, aren't you? We're going to talk <laughs> Baylor and there's an opening game. All right, let's, let's go there. That's fine. You know, We'll leave Baylor out of it. I mean, we, we might talk about Jeff Grimes, Jeff Grimes leaving for yes. Baylor, but we, yes. we won't bring up the specific game in 83. Uh, let's let's, right, let's focus on the happy stuff. 2020, BYU has one of their best seasons in program history. How would you define the 2020 BYU football season? I, with that, you know, in context for uh, COVID and what it did to our schedule and what Tom had to do to pull off a season – and uh, with the risks of COVID, not being able to get to games and having to delay games and, and move them around, and some were missed and some were scratched. And it was the greatest of all time because of what was accomplished. We re-energize and re, I mean, we, we you know, the national um, uh, conversation around college football and BYU, we've been missing for a long time and we're back in it. Now we're not back in it like heavy. Uh, we couldn't even, you know, get more respect in Cincinnati or, I mean, I never could figure that one out. Um, so we're not all the way, but we're just, at least we're off our backs and uh, we're off the mat, you know, and, uh, and Zach did a great job of playing great quarterback, which always energizes everybody. I really appreciate uh, how they have, how Kalani, finally approached the offense and got out of this um, rushing game, you know, try to win 17-13 and really just put it on Zach. It really, I mean, everything uh, was, a, was, was better. And now we've established ourselves at ESPN, I think, very well. We always were liked, but now I think we established ourselves as, you know, back to who BYU is, uh, exciting, offensive, you know, quarterback-centric, kind of stuff. So look, all of it, uh, you can't tell me there was, there was nothing negative. The only negative was how, how slow people were to perceive us as, as maybe a great team. And that's because of how far we were coming from behind. And, uh, um, you know, when they first ranked us at 15, it felt really a slight. Well, it was a slight because we were coming from so far away. Uh, and, uh, now we're not, you know, this year, now the pressure's on, right? We'll have hopefully a more fulsome schedule this year, maybe the toughest in the, in the country and we're a new quarterback. And now we've got to fill those shoes and fill that vacuum, uh, of expectations that have been built because that's what, that's how great of a season it was that we built some expectations, which is really cool. 
Sorry for the long answer. But it was a great year. <laughs> it was. There was, a, look, there was a lot to talk about. It's one of the funnest years that fans have had to be able to enjoy in a long time. And you mentioned Zach Wilson, and certainly his performance was fun. And we talked about BYU moving up the rankings each week. Zach Wilson was skyrocketing to the top of NFL draft boards. Give everybody an idea of, of why Zach is such a hot commodity among NFL circles and could potentially be the number two pick in the upcoming NFL draft. So, uh, from, you know, first of all, just from my perspective, uh, Zach was given the opportunity finally with this offense to grow and to handle more and more. And A-Rod was giving him a lot of great opportunities and every time Zach responded, it was it was kind of like uh, I'm trying to think of how you would how you'd think about a good analogy. But the first one is just you know the more weight you put on somebody, usually they slow down, usually they get bogged down. Uh, you ask them to do more from the data, and their their mind gets racing, and they're not as effective, and they're not as present when they play. Um, and he, the more it seemed like they gave Zach to do, the better he played. Uh, the more he excelled, the more he kind of blossomed. And the full measure of who Zach is as a player started to come out. And that's what I think that's what grabbed everybody. Um, the throws that were made, the decisions, and that, you know, immediately what you saw early in the year was this is a kid that has, and look, you, ha- you always compare younger players to someone who's, who's already there or been there. They're like, oh, that's more like, you know, Dan Marino or, or John L or whatever it is. And that gives people context. This is a kid that has the talent and the presence of Patrick Mahomes. Like there's nothing that Zach, that Patrick does that Zach, I don't feel like, I feel like Zach could go out and be scrambling left and be, you know, someone pull his right arm and he puts the ball on his left and throw it. Like I think Zach's that present, if that makes sense. And I think that he's, you know, kind of has that, sense that, you know, I always think of Joe Montana when I think of this great quality where you can have 22 guys on the field and all the chaos going on and, and you are like chilling. Like, yeah, you know, that, <laughs> 22, guys, 22 guys is no big deal. And some people just from a spatial relationship of humans, it doesn't, you know, you, it doesn't overwhelm you. And so Zach is a kid that uh, guys that watch this for a living and that's their, their job is to pick quarterbacks he just he jumped out at you. So once they get jumped out, I think it was maybe the Houston game, where there's like, okay, wait a second, who is this kid? What are they? And that's and I give Aaron, I give Kalani a lot of credit for giving Zach the opportunity to showcase that. Now showcase the offense, showcase BYU football, showcase how good we could be. It was all part of it, but it was the lean in from getting away from trying to win 17-13, which is is truly Kalani's rooted rootedness, right? Like. That's where he wants to be. He wants to just <laughs> grind it out and just be too – and it's so, so hard for him to ch- make the transition. And I give him so much credit to go working against his nature and accepting and actually embracing and, you know, this BYU way. He talked about it over the years. I would talk, talk to him. Other guys were talking to him. Kalani, even if we lose, we got to do it the BYU way. We gain so much for – you know, you can recruit off of it. You can – We've talked on the show before. BYU is a certain thing. And so all of that worked well for Zach. And Zach, uh, 
I got a call from a scout of the 49ers and he was headed to the Boise game. And, uh, and he said, this kid is amazing. And I go, I, I know it's like the more they ask, the more you get. And then the Boise game, if you recall, um, was another great one mm-hmm. and made throws that you were like, that's what happened then. Once everyone got, everyone started to watch him. Then he started, he was on, like, he knew he was on the show and he, he was making throws. You're like, Whoa, that was, that was unbelievable. <laughs> and that's when it really got going because that's what guys, pro scouts are watching for that. They watch for, okay, this kid now knows he's in the mix. This kid now knows that everybody's in the stands, watch him. Everyone knows nationally they're watching him and they want to see how he responds. Cause that usually is one of the gaining issues for a quarterback. Can he, can he kind of handle more and more? And every time you're, and then it was the San Diego state game where it was cold, it was windy. And, you know, a lot of quarterbacks kind of, you know, close ranks a little bit and they're not as kind of um, free flowing. And Zach's like, I don't know what wind, what cold, what, what's the problem. And that was another little moment when people would call me and say, the kid just seems unflappable. And, um, and so that's why you start to think about his, what is his ceiling? What can't he do? And that's where you start talking about first round, then top of the first round, then why not with the Jets, number two, because as time goes on with that trajectory, right, up into the right, uh, uh, where does that end? Where does it flatten? And there's nothing about Zach right now. They've tried. People have tried to slow down the train. I mean, if somebody reported that Zach wasn't, um, um, you know, what was that little report that came out that he wasn't a leader or that he was a he was spoiled, you know, spoiled rich kid, is was spoiled, the- yeah, which is really a rotten thing to do. And I, I still, I, I, I still, one of the worst things I ever did on TV was say something like that about Chris Sims, which I regret. I've told him thousands of times how sorry I was to his dad. <laughs> His dad almost – we were in the tunnel going out for the Super Bowl uh, um, uh, MVPs, all the MVP, and he, uh, he wanted to fight, man. I was like, geez, Phil, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I mean, I'm from Greenwich, Connecticut. The mean streets of Greenwich, Connecticut. Like, I just <laughs> said the wrong thing. I, I said the wrong thing. I screwed up. I screwed up. And uh, – but I – but that that's a nefarious comment to make to somebody. And uh, – and I thought that Cougar Nation responded and really, in many ways, the people, the fans squelched that. The fans, they had enough anecdotes and experiences that were personal. They were like, this is not right. And I really appreciated that because Zach needs that. He's going to be under attack a little bit here and there. There'll be forces out there that are going to want, the, you know, camps of other quarterbacks, other teams, people trying to manipulate the draft, trying to, trying to devalue him so they might fall to him. Uh, I mean, fall to them. You know, there's all this intrigue that's going to be going on over the next three or four months. And so Cougar Nation is just, you know, watch closely for any kind of slippage of the tongue from anybody <laughs> about Zach Wilson. Um, but Zach, but, you know, look, it's not a perfect puzzle yet because Zach is, like, you know, um, people will say, well, he wasn't the, he wasn't the captain. As a junior, he wasn't the captain. Usually the quarterback's the captain. Was there something there? And I tell people, well, you got to understand there's so much maturity on a BYU team because of post missions and just the nature of what missions do for guys and the maturity that you get. You're going to get 15 guys that are, that are really, you know, salt of the earth, great human beings, great leaders, uh, energized, uh, 
uh, guys in the locker room. And, and so, you know, to be a captain at BYU is not just a foregone conclusion to be the quarterback. So that's my story there. Um, but that they're looking for anything. They're like, well, what about, you know, one time we heard, cause people need to know Zach's come from nowhere in some ways. And the, how do we pressure test him before we make him uh, the Ziggy Ansaw of this, of this draft? Steve I Young with us on, right? absolutely. Steve Young with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, Steve, when you look at all of the different landing spots that have been projected, the New York Jets at number two, Atlanta at number four, Carolina at number eight, Detroit at number nine, and then, of course, your 49ers at number 12, where do you feel like the best fit is for Zach Wilson as he makes the transition from college football to the National Football League? Well, I'm, I'm a big believer in Zach, and so, I, you know, if I was the Jaguars, I'd take him. You know, if I look about upsides, uh, you know, and that might be – I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one. There's no question. So, I mean, I, you know, you know I'm being a little bit uh, uh, crazy in saying that. But, well, I'm just saying that the Jets are going to – are doing work on him. And they're going to have to – they're going to have a tough time trying to talk themselves out of making him that pick. There's going to be some – you know, being in New York and being uh, with Justin and his his – championship run uh and how he play it's gonna be tough to you know just the national media and everything else to, to make him the number two pick but they're, they're gonna have be hard pressed not to take him i think by the time they work him out go through the combines um and see all the film and talk to everybody uh it'll be hard to pass him now you look at the next few teams n- none of them are probably quarterback focused maybe atlanta ends up looking for uh sorry about that Maybe Atlanta looks for a. Um, uh, it's live. It's that. live television. Hey, maybe all, somebody's all calling now. to ask you about it's Zach. So live. It's so live. I got to turn my phone off. That is just rude. Sorry, but <laughs> no uh, you, know, you think it might be Atlanta? Might if they would they do something with Matt Ryan? If someone tries to move up, and then Detroit, what they do with Matthew Stafford and Detroit? Um, but if they pass Detroit, if he gets past seven, it gets super cool and interesting because the teams that start showing up. You see San Francisco at 12. I, I'm guessing you think, oh, Steve knows. He's, he's got some insight. I promise you I have no insight about the 49ers and their thoughts about the draft. But I do know that the 49ers are serious about, about looking at Zach, Zach Wilson. I mean, so if he could if they, if he could get within range of 12 to 9 and they could move around, that would be super cool. Denver with John Elwin. Now John's the president, but – I think they – no one would pass Zach up who's looking for a quarterback. Nobody. Nobody. So if it's Atlanta, it's Atlanta. If it's – if it's uh, Detroit, it's Detroit. And, and if somebody could move up from New England to, to San Francisco to, to Denver to, you know, all those teams in the middle of the pack are all desperate for quarterbacks, they would do anything to get to Zach. So that's how that's going to play out. Steve, you've mentioned the, uh, the offense for BYU a couple of times, and now BYU has a new offensive coordinator. Uh, Aaron Roderick is now the guy that's going to be in charge of the offense, and, and you've been on the show very vocal about how much you like what you see from him. What do you make of that hire and what it means for the BYU offense moving forward? Uh, I'm ecstatic at that hire. <laughs> Uh, I am, uh, overjoyed. I am, uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I've been, I've been arguing for a long time, uh, that BYU needs to be related to its past because we can use it as a tool in, like I said, in recruiting, 
in pregame speeches for Kalani for how people see us. And I said, even if we lose throwing it around, we still are BYU. There's something to be, it's like Pittsburgh in defense. It's like, there's very few plays in Steelers. There's very few places in football, college and pros where you have an image that you can hold on to and use in its, and its past to use for all the really cool purposes. So A-Rod, uh, A-Rod, I loved what he did. Like he would see something Andy Reid ran that Patrick Mahomes did a week or two before, and then they'd run it. And of course it worked because Zach can handle that. That's what was so cool about this year. I, saw, I was like, A-Rod, I'd see something on, on a game on, uh, on the weekend with uh, the pros and it was a super cool play that Sean Payton had or that Kyle Shanahan had put together or Sean McVay. And then all of a sudden, BYU was running it and just <laughs> ripping people with it. And I'm like, oh, A-Rod, I love you, man. This is awesome. <laughs> because it's not plagiarism. It's really just seeing you have a guy that can do it in Zach and a lot of great talent around. And look at all – think about what happened at back, at tight end. And, you know, people just blossomed because he was calling plays that allowed for that full measure of someone's creation. Like, it's just really, you think about it kind of spiritually, like people want to see how good they can be. And I love that A-Rod gave people that opportunity to see how good they could be. He gave Zach that opportunity. When Zach goes in the top 10 uh, this, this spring, he's got to go hug A-Rod because uh, A-Rod gave him that, that opportunity. And, uh, and so to, so to, you know, all, all the guys on offense because he's, he, he's that – he's got an innovative young mind. If he keeps it up, uh, they'll be looking at – because pro, pro football is looking for young, innovative minds, offensive minds. And, um, I mean, the Jets would love one right now. This, the Jets, I mean, you go down the list, everybody would love one. Houston needs one desperately. Um, so, anyway – there's that for A-Rod. I, I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it either. Uh, we, and it better not change, A-Rod. <laughs> Steve Young is watching. Hey, we're talking about a guy from the mean streets of Greenwich, Connecticut. You don't want to double-cross this dude, right? right. Yeah, you're do not watching. mess with me. I'm on the Stanford-Greenwich border, man. It's tough. Tough over there. <laughs> Steve, let's finish with this. It's been so fun to watch a number of former BYU Cougars flourish in the NFL, and it feels like a majority of those guys are still playing in the playoffs between Dirty Dan, Daniel Sorensen with the Chiefs, and Jamal Williams with the Packers, and Taysom Hill of the Saints, of course, among others. Which Cougar still playing in the NFL playoffs do you expect to make the biggest impact on uh, what they hope is a hopeful run to a Super Bowl championship? Well, Dirty uh, Dan, Dan, he's got it. I mean, he's going to be in the mix because so is Kansas City. I don't know who beats Kansas City other than himself. So, uh, you know, you're on the, the, the biggest stage and you make a big play and, you know, that's going to be world famous. Taysom's the one that can make the biggest difference. Um, and you saw the other day when he didn't make the difference, right, when the ball got uh, tipped and he was he, – that was going to be – should, should have been touched. But I don't know where that ball is going to end up. I love that Sean has more confidence in Taysom. I'll take the ball and throw it, which he earned – very nicely when he played the few games that Drew was out. And so I think Taysom's the one that um, clearly can make a huge difference in this run, especially, you know, I mean, uh, they're going to probably end up in the, in Green Bay when it's cold and there's going to need some cool plays that you have, you know, running sophisticated running stuff that Taysom can do that can really help the, the Saints. So I, I suspect Taysom's going to be, if the, if Taysom has a great pre, uh, postseason, the Saints are probably going to be in good shape. 
Steve, we always enjoy talking with you. It's uh, nice to talk BYU football, man. So uh, let's continue to do uh, this, and yeah, we'll pass I, I along just, the message gotta, to Erod. I just hope, you know, I think we've got everything in place, right? We've got, uh, uh, we just, we got to make sure we always have a quarterback or two running around that are, uh, that are, you know, playing great football. We got to keep expanding and, you know, keep recruiting. Um, recruiting is, we have not been great recruiters. I'm sorry. That's just a fact. Uh, we're losing uh, great athletes out of Utah. And we have for 10 years that are headed to, to other schools, in the PAC 12. And with this year, we can go recruit. We can go argue that you're going to be, you know, you can go pro. You can, you know, uh, uh, Zach going in the top half of the first round tells you that, you know, BYU is back on the map. So we got to take advantage of it. We can't let it slide. I know we get it. But anyway, ask your question. I mean, you can see I'm a, I, I think about BYU football way too much. <laughs> it's not possible, <laughs> no, Steve. No, you can't think about it too much. Good. In fact, if you want to come recruit and coach the offensive line, there's an opening there too. So throw your name in the mix. <laughs> you do not want me coaching offensive line because I hate blocking <laughs> schemes. I hate, like that's what I say. You know, Trent Dilfer, is looking, he's, he's, got, he's up for some college football jobs. He's been in high school coaching, doing a great job in Nashville, Tennessee at Lipscomb Academy. And, uh, and he and I, like, he's my, he's my brother, Tom. They love football the way that I don't, I like, I love playing quarterback. I love that. It takes every inch of yourself. It takes every spiritual, emotional, mental, physical piece of yourself to be any good at it. I love the, to be engrossed in playing quarterback. I love that. But when you want to start talking about blocking schemes <laughs> and, and, and angles and like, I, I just, I gloss over, like I can, I would be a terrible coach. I would like, I don't care. Like just <laughs> you know, watch my film and do it like that. Like, I don't know. Let me I just go out and score touchdowns. Be. Yeah. Like I, and so uh, I would you would not want me as the offensive line coach. I can promise you that. I'd be like, guys, just, just get it done. You know, just whatever you need to protect the quarterback, you know, figure it out. Right. Fair that enough. Would be my we'll we'll keep you as our muscle on BYU Sports Nation as a uh, as our uh, West Coast analyst. I'm the ICBM missile. Anything that needs to get done, just send me out. I'm ready to go. <laughs> we didn't even talk about Big Five conferences too. We've got to we've got to start figuring that out too. By the way, so that'll be next time we talk. I love it, Steve. Great to catch up with you, my friend. Uh, hope 2021 is going well for you, and let's do this again soon. All right, let's go. <laughs> Steve Young on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. How great is that? He wanted to go more. He wanted to talk more about uh, the Power Five conferences. you know my ears perked up when he talked about expansion talk. (laughs) I I was ready to go another 20 minutes, so. He is such a BYU fan, and I love it. That's what I love. Not only is he NFL Hall of Famer Steve Young that can talk. all in. but, But he's as big a BYU fan as anybody, and I love that. And he's unapologetic about it. That's what I think is fantastic. We told you that the uh, almost 22-minute interview would be worth it. Steve Young, never disappointing. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. It's time we play Toss Up, presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. We're going to toss it over to Ben Bagley. All right, guys, let's start with Toss Up number one. Will, would you rather have BYU finish in the top 20 or the top 10 in the AP football poll 
or have a single digit NCAA tournament seed? Ooh, who goes first on this? You go first. Um, I am going to say I want the BYU football team to be rewarded for their season. I'll say I'll say top ten for BYU football. The football season has already been decided, so I'm not going to put as much stock into an actual final ranking as I am to the idea that BYU basketball would play well enough to be a single-digit seed. So if I could guarantee that, I'm going single-digit seed in the NCAA tournament for men's basketball. Okay. All right, next one, toss-up. Will BYU hire a familiar face as a new O-line coach or bring in someone new? I think BYU just may go with somebody familiar here, Ben. Garrett 2J's out there. Can they lure him back from Virginia? Love you, Garrett. If you're listening, we love you. You know what? I'm not opposed to uh, going against the grain and bringing back a guy like Ryan Pugh. I know that it's been weird in the media for him and, and you know, cancel culture and all that stuff, but I, I'm not opposed to bringing Ryan Pugh back. Also, Dallas Reynolds technically could be considered a former BYU guy, so I like those three guys. Yeah, I, I would... I would lean towards maybe somebody that's familiar, somebody that we know, because BYU's had, in recent years, had a lot of guys at that specific coaching position uh, that did a really nice job that I think could certainly be candidates and maybe come back. So, yeah, I would say I would lean towards uh, recognizing that person versus not. Okay. Up next. All right, next one. Toss-up. Bigger game left on the BYU hoop schedule. At St. Mary's on Thursday or Versus Gonzaga at home on February 27th. This is not close, Ben. Not close. It is St. Mary's on the road. Here's why. Because BYU can win that game, and it is a quad one opportunity that is a winnable game for the Cougars. Gonzaga at home. BYU's got like an 11% chance to win that game, according to TeamRankings.com. BYU has close to a 50% chance of winning the game against St. Mary's. If BYU beats the Gales in the Moraga, they then have three quad one victories at San Diego State, at Utah State, and at St. Mary's. The game against St. Mary's has more ramifications for BYU's realistic at-large chances. Yes, it's without question winning Thursday night in Moraga. And as crazy as it sounds, BYU's had more success winning in Spokane than Moraga. It, it's just been a place that BYU, for whatever reason, has struggled. So I, and I think this team... I'm excited for that game Thursday. This I think this BYU team comes out extremely motivated. I'm looking forward to this one, but it's absolutely that game against St. Mary's versus the game against Gonzaga. On to number four. Toss up the SpongeBob field goal posts or the end zone touchdown slime cannons. It's SpongeBob for me. <laughs> Anytime you can see that goofy grin between the uprights, your day gets better. Okay, <laughs> I... I'm all in on SpongeBob. The slime in the end zone was just kind of weird because I feel like touchdowns are a good thing. I don't want to get slimed if I do something celebratory. Okay, and good. it was digital slime. It Nobody didn't really get actually slimed. got slimed. I know, but still, the idea of it. Look, the the SpongeBob face right in my mug was a little. It's amazing. It was a little creepy to me. <laughs> so I'm definitely going the slime cam for touchdowns. Even though they didn't get to use it very much in that game. Oh, wide right. <laughs> Next. Last one. Toss up. Who you got tonight in the college football championship game? Roll Tide or the Ohio State? Jason, you go first. Roll Tide. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think they're the number one. They're the best team in college football. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I pulling for Alabama. I, I, have, I have mentioned this earlier. I have no problem rooting for Nick Saban or Alabama. So that's who I've got tonight. Alabama, and they're the best team. Alabama has three of the top six college football players in the country. Think about that. Three of the top six players in the country are on the same team on the same side of the ball. Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, and Mac Jones. And Najee Harris is basically crazy. a cougar. <laughs> so Two unofficial visits. To I'm Provo. just saying. Had the Alabama Not coaches saying, worried just for a saying. second. Got a phone call. Uh, yeah, it's going to be Alabama. I think by double figures. I'm all in on Roll Tide. They're so good. They are so good. It's unfair almost. I actually, you know, as much as we bag on it, we're all still going to tune in. It's still the national championship yeah. game. That's, that's why they know, like, yeah, everyone gripes and complains that these teams are always the same, yet everybody tunes in and the numbers are huge. You know what's weird about tonight's game that might actually help it? Ohio State is kind of the wild card because they've only played seven games, and they're like, oh, maybe, maybe. And they shocked Clemson, so it's like, oh, maybe they're, maybe they're the real deal. Could they do it again? So there's some added Yep. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. There's something about walking up a mountain and finding inspiration that everyone can relate to, right? And uh, it was on a team hike that Richard Harward of BYU Basketball made a decision that ultimately changed his life. This is Deep Blue presented by America First Credit Union. We're here to help. Big Rich. He really just doesn't care what people think about him. I think it's one of his greatest strengths as well. One of my favorite players I've ever been around and ever experienced to be around and to coach. He just took life in stride. Was not one of those that would give us grief or anything else like that. He was just cool. I think it kind of it kind of shows through in the way he plays because he's the kind of player that he doesn't care to go get his hands dirty. He doesn't care that like he's this big guy on the ground growing for the ball. I, I I think it's something that's definitely come across his whole life. I've coached Richard now for three and a half years. I had him when he returned from his mission three years ago, his freshman, when he played zero minutes a game. And we didn't really know what to expect when we got him back. So he came back, got to Utah Valley. His freshman year couldn't even scratch. Couldn't get a second of time. Things weren't really going the way he thought they would from a basketball perspective. My dad was sick. There were other, like, depression issues, things that he was working his way through. He was like, I don't know what my future is here. I don't know if I'm good enough to play here. I don't know if I fit here. Um, Was thinking about maybe transferring, finding a better fit to play. And we went on a team hike. We had all the guys sleep at my house. And then we woke up at like 2 o'clock in the morning. We went all together and climbed Mount Timonogos. I've grown up hiking and doing outdoorsy stuff. So I was like, oh, I got to get up this thing in record time. And I was kind of hauling it up, but when I was by myself, there's a lot of moments where I was just kind of sitting there thinking to myself quietly, and I realized it's like, hey, there's going to be tough times. Like, it's going to be miserable, and it's like, I'm going to feel like I got gypped or I got screwed out of certain situations. But it's like, when we were at the top of the mountain and held the whole team together, that was the moment that I was just like, I want to be here with these guys. Like, I want to, like, summit the mountain with a team. I don't want to be some guy that's always fighting for his own. I want to be with a squad. He raced up that mountain ahead of us and came down. And he walked in my office a couple days later and he said, Coach, I don't know what my future holds. I don't know if I have a place to fit here on this team, but I cannot let my teammates down. I'm not leaving. And from that day, he made this commitment. 
music is just such a great like tool and like vessel to bring about like happiness and emotion and like connecting with people's emotions. And like I said, when I was struggling with anxiety and like depression and stuff, just listening to that music really gave me something to cling on to and feel like I could connect with it. He did not scratch for the first half of the season his sophomore year either. There was no daylight. He was buried under this big slew of bigs that we had. He was getting no love. We had a player break his pinky, uh, one of our centers. So he had to sit down. And so we had to throw Rich in this, into the rotation. When he wasn't playing and he was being energetic and brought it every single day, when he was called upon, he was ready. Right? I think the first game he was called upon, he had 16 points, 12 rebounds, and was player of the week. Every game for the rest of the season essentially averages a double-double, is the best player, the best big in our conference in the entire WAC, all from the get-go. It's like as soon as he got under the lights, it was like go time. I'd grown up my whole life, people tell me like, uh, you're too fat, because I grew up a pretty chunky kid. <laughs> tell me it's like, you're too fat, you're not gonna make the junior high team, and then I went to work and I made it. Scout leader was telling me in morning basketball one time, he's like, yeah, I was talking to some guys and they said like, yeah, you can play high school ball, but they really can't see you at the D1 level. And that, that made me so angry. It made me so mad. I was like, hey, I got to show these people. Another one of those examples of like, hey, it's confidence building, like all this hard work's paying off. And now I can go and show these people. I can show all the people who doubt me that this underdog can do it. How many guys on last year's team told us they hated practice because of Richard? <laughs> that guy right there. Because he's a physical. No, they're like, he's so Yoli strong. was the first to say it, too. Yoli Childs is like, man, I hate banging against that guy. He wants to win, and he wants to see everyone be successful, and he knows what it's like. Um, he knows what it's like as a bench guy, as a role guy, and as, you know, a player of the week guy. cares about this team and the players on it so much, and with all the incredible things he's going to do on the court this season, he's never going to do anything more important than that. Deep Blue with Richard Harward. You got to love that kid's tenacity on the court and then just learning that. Man, incredible stuff. Yeah, and he's becoming more and more comfortable in, in game situations. He's been a, a, a big-time pickup for BYU. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. It's time to play Know the Foe, presented by Bodyguards. Protection for a life worth living. Learn more at Bodyguards.com. We need Ben Bagley to bring the heat. All right, guys, it is another riveting edition of Know the Foe. I'm looking forward to at least one right answer today, maybe. It's too much to ask. Too much to ask? Okay. All right, Jason, you spoke up. You get to go first. Number one. Which of the following is not on the Yelp list of top ten fun things to do in Moraga? <laughs> Remember, this is not, not. the Lindsay Wildlife Experience, Putters, Walnut Walnut Creek Farmers Market, or the Reno Fun Train. I will say the. What was the second one? I didn't quite understand what you said. Putters. Putters. I'm gonna go with putters. 
Mini, I was gonna say miniature golf. Well, I knew it was. I figured that's what it was, but it's number two on the list. Funny enough, the uh, the not coming in number twelve on the list, so not on the top ten, is the Reno Fun Train, which <laughs> ironically <about> enough <laughs> is an activity that actually gets you out of Morocco. <laughs> I was gonna say it's he's baiting me to take it because yes. it says Reno in it, and the Fun Train. Choo choo. Train, train to go with you and your friends. Let's go to Reno. Let's go to the casinos. Biggest little city in the world. You got it. All, All right, right, Spencer, you're up. Okay. As maybe the most famous St. Mary's alumni, Marshall Ali appeared in multiple has appeared in multiple movies. Which of the following is a superhero production Ali is not casted in? Blade, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, Luke Cage, or The Dark Knight? You know this, Jason? I do know the answer to this. That's why you went first, Jason. Uh, you're the movie guy. It's what I, it's all I, it's all I live for, and that's I, the question I don't get. I'm gonna go Luke Cage. No, he's the he main was the villain. villain. He was Cottonmouth and Luke Cage. I clearly haven't seen it. Not in the Dark Knight. Yes. All right, Jason, back to you. <laughs> he's so disgusted. Jason's so disgusted right now. St. Mary's actually used to play football. In fact, in 1939, they won the Cotton Bowl 20-13 to 13 over which team from the state of Texas? Was it TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, or SMU? <laughs> SMU. <laughs> no, it was over the Red Raiders of Texas Tech, and a, and a wonderful twenty. To Gary Shidey, Gar- uh, yeah, Gary Shidey used to Shidey. coach football yeah, to coach at St. Mary's as an yes, assistant. Yes, all right. Not in the '30s when that happened. Let's just make sure. Still that's looking clear. for that one correct answer. Come on, here we go. All right, Spencer. You're giving something about uh, I don't know the Chiefs. I don't know. All right, former Aussie turned Gell, Jock Landau, returned home to the land down under. Which NBL t- NBL team is Jock currently playing for? Is it the Melbourne United, the Adelaide 36ers, the Sydney Kings, or the Perth Wildcats? How did you say Melbourne? Melbourne. The, the correct <laughs> That's pronunciation. That's the correct pronunciation if you okay. ask an Australian. Okay. Right. Melbourne. I'm going to go with the Adelaide 36ers, Ben. Oh. No, he plays for Melbourne United. <laughs> oh, for. Are we going to get right. one right? Come on, Jason. Jason one. This Let's is go. your last chance to get one correct. Okay. All right. St. Mary's head coach, Randy Benton Bennett, played his college ball at what school? St. Mary's, <laughs> Arizona, UC San Diego, or Pepperdine? Pepperdine. No, that would be UC, UC San Diego. San Diego, yes. Yeah. Yes. All right, Spencer, for the win. Here we go. And the one correct answer, maybe. Come on. Which of the following is not true about former Gill, Patty Mills? His middle name is Sammy. He's the originator of the three goggles. He's a published author of children's books. Or as a child, he appeared in an episode of The Wiggles. (laughs) And you get the Wiggles question. His middle name is Sammy is not true. It is true. He did not appear in an episode of The Wiggles. Sorry. What? But he did. He is the originator of the three goggles, and he does have a series of children's books. Yeah, I knew that. The Shepard family, growing up, we were into The Wiggles (laughs) massively. So that would be another uh, no-hitter shutout performance. By the way, shout-out to Greg Page, The Yellow Wiggle. You've always been my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) It's a potential show title today. We were super into The Wiggles. I trust that, dude. (laughs) All right.
right. Ofer again? Ofer. Man, Ben Look, is But let's be honest. That us. segment is better when we don't get them true. right. It's, it's better true. that way. It's so true. Yeah. Jeremy, it's time for Prop Picks, presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968, of course. Let's oh, re- what did Jason do here? Let's recap what happened against St. Mary's. Okay, number one. Which will be greater? The winning margin of points, Caleb Lohner rebounds, or Richard Harward's points? Or BYU free throw attempts in the first half? Now, here's the thing. BYU didn't attempt a free throw in the first half, so that's zero. Harward had four. Neither team did! Loner had nine rebounds. The winning margin was 10? What in the world? I felt like I was making a huge mistake. I've made a huge mistake. When I went with the winning margin of yes, points Joe. here. But I actually got that one. So, yeah. And, and you... Uh, I would have I would have picked Loner's rebounds if I had known. You know, I'm not consulted. When you're gone, you're gone. You're gone. Uh, Jason picked for me. What did he pick? Richard Harward's points. Either way... You know, you don't have to feel bad about that one because it still would have been a loss. Yeah. Okay, number two. Who will have more rebounds, Lauren Gustin or the combination of Barcelona, <laughs> Loner, and Harward? And it was a push! 16 Amazing. each. Yeah. How I, about that? I, I knew Bagley nailing it. I knew Lauren Gustin uh, was going to have some opportunity against the poorest St. Mary's shooting team. And, yeah, she had 16. It's just crazy that it pushed. Lauren Gustin is incredible. Double dude. double machine. Like, she she's the Dennis Rodman of BYU Women's Tips, like rebounding machine. Yes. She's amazing. Yeah. I mean ten, they played ten games. She has seven double doubles. It's wild. <laughs> like, Kyle Collinsworth's like, just pass it a little more and you're gonna triple double. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, number three from St. Mary's. Which BYU team will hold the largest lead tonight against St. Mary's, women's basketball or women, men's basketball. Sure. Yeah, that's what you would yeah. have picked, and I did, picked that. Did Jason take men? Jason took the men. He took the men. <laughs> uh, hey, trust me, I know. I got my butt kicked when I was gone for a while after uh, my new baby was born when Jason was picking for me. one week. <laughs> And I listen, I dominated. There, even if you were in, I would have won that week. I was on fire. All right. After the St. Mary's game, I'll take uh, a two to nothing lead into the weekend as we move on to San Francisco. Sweet. <laughs> All right. Uh, ben Bagley, you want to join us for this or should I just do this? I got you. Okay. All right. Let's go for San Francisco prop picks. Sorry, mic adjustment. There. All good. All right. San Francisco prop picks. Who will score the final point of the game for BYU? <laughs> this is so random, and I love it. Oh, man. Uh, I, okay. think it's, I think it's going to be a close game, Jerem, and I like big shot Brandon, so I'm going with Brandon Averitt, whether it's a free throw or whatever. Like I think Brandon Averitt is going to be the guy that scores the final points for BYU. Trevin Nell. I don't know why. Just okay. Just have a feeling. Gotta look way into the crystal ball for that one. All right, prop pick number two. Which guard will score the most points in the game? Both sides. You go first, Jerem. Uh, brother Jamari Bouye. Yeah. Uh, he had 23 last year. Although Shabazz had like 32 off the bench. He was unbelievable. <laughs> that was like Michael Lloyd Jr. was like, that was an incredible performance out of there. Didn't he I make like 10 threes or something? That, that, that was crazy. Um, was it that many? I, yeah, it was something Damn. like that. 
some nine or ten three-pointers. That almost made me choose Shabazz, um, and I feel like this is another huge mistake I'm making just because I, I think you're going to be right. It's going to be Bouye. But I, I'm going to go with Alex Barcelo. You know, maybe this is the bounce-back game that, where he just goes nuts on the hilltop. That's the Jason yeah, Shepard. I love Alex, but now I, now I can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> The Homer pick. It's the Jason Shepard. Andy Reid. <laughs> All right, last one. How many points will be scored in tomorrow's game combined? Closest to without going over. Ooh. Oh, man. Both teams average like right around mid-70s, which would combine for about 150. I'm going to go a little lower than that. I'm going to say like 142. Mm, I'm 139. Oh. How about last night? So the, the over under on last night was 134, and at halftime it was – like 55 or something or 60. Yeah, what did it finish? 114? <laughs> yeah, just so low. Oh, St. Mary's just take the under on the over-under every time. Come on. Okay. Yeah, I get to be plus two on you there? Jeez. Okay. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. BYU football finishes ranked number 11 and finishes ranked in the AP poll for the first time, as Jason just pointed out, in 11 years. Apparently it's the number 11. It's all about 11s. As our number of the day on BYU Sports Nation. Jason, what is your reaction to BYU finishing with the number 11 spot in the final AP Top 25. Okay, overall, I was pleasantly surprised that they got it pretty close. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they, they got, I think that overall they got it right. And look, you can pick apart certain things about it, and I will certainly make my points as, as I make my comments here. But I had almost prepared for the worst. Yesterday on the show we had talked about I figured it would be anywhere between 10 and 15. Mm-hmm. I thought they certainly deserved to be closer to 10. And I think a case could be made that they were a top 10 team. I still believe that. The fact that they came in at number 11, I, I, I think that that's, that's pretty good. I can't argue that too much. I was surprised with a couple of things. Uh, I was surprised Coastal Carolina was three spots below BYU. Uh, that surprised me a little bit. Uh, and I also do not believe Cincinnati is three spots ahead of BYU. Even after their performance against Georgia, when they dominated the game for two and a half quarters. I, I, I just I don't think there's that much difference between BYU and Cincinnati. In my own personal okay. opinion. You can you can disagree if you want, that's fine. Also seeing Iowa State ahead of BYU with three losses still makes me a bit angry. <laughs> uh, but overall But they beat the juggernaut Oregon in their bowl game. They Look, beat four and three Oregon. The de facto Pac-12 representative champion? Like, overall, I'm okay with 11. Yes, I believe BYU is a top 10 team. But overall, I can't argue with that. Top 10 team would have been unbelievable. but And again, I think the case can be made. But you're finishing 11th. As we talked about, the first time you're finishing that, you know, ranked in the AP top poll, AP poll, in the top 25 in 11 years, that is such a major accomplishment for BYU. I, I, can't, I can't argue with it too much. Plus, I took a lot of satisfaction and joy in noticing that BYU was ranked higher than any Pac-12 school, and they were the highest-ranked team west of the Mississippi. <laughs> it was BYU, and nobody else was close. I knew this was going to happen. I called it yesterday. Oh, is Texas A&M west of the Mississippi? I guess technically it is. 
Yeah, but they're yeah, in the but SEC. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You they're know in what the I'm SEC, saying. west of the Rockies, Thinking, right? Yeah, I don't think of them as west. Sorry, I apologize. Texas A&M doesn't feel like a west. No, it does. It does not. It does not feel like west to me. In the Central Time Zone, we're talking. But you get my point. Mountain and Pacific Time Zone. If we right? want to focus more on the highest uh, ranked team above any other Pac-12, we can go ahead and focus <laughs> on that. That's fine. I knew this was going to happen. I knew BYU was going to be number eleven. I said it yesterday, and I said that I'd be totally bugged, and I am. I'm bothered that BYU is just outside the top 10 because there is this allure of being in the top 10. And I want BYU to have it. I feel like they deserve it. Yes, it's fantastic that BYU is best in the West, in the Mountain and Pacific time zones, by 10 spots. They're 10 spots higher than USC at number 21. San Jose State's the only other team that finished in the top 25. It's kind of weird that there are only three teams in two time zones in the entire top 25. It's crazy. But BYU's the team by 10 spots over USC. This is the Cougars' fourth highest ranking in program history. How about that? The Miracle Bowl, Jim McMahon, Clay Brown after they beat SMU. Jason, they finished number 12. This team finished more or higher ranked than Jim McMahon's Miracle Bowl team? That seems a little bit crazy, doesn't it? Fourth highest ranking ever. I'd still put them at 10. Because I think BYU deserves, after playing 12 games, winning 11, having a statement-dominating victory in their bowl game over UCF, which, by the way, UCF was 29. They were four spots out of the top 25, so it wasn't like BYU was beating just a pushover. I think they deserve it over Northwestern. A Big Ten team that lost twice and only played eight games. You tell me, 11-1 and BYU, 6-2 and Northwestern. And for the record, I think head-to-head, there's too much offensive firepower for BYU, and then they beat the Wildcats on a neutral field head-to-head. So that, that bothers me a little bit. You know, I'm bugged. I think BYU deserved to be number 10. Uh, and what the heck? Somebody put them at 21? 21? Yeah, that's ridiculous. They're, that's that's ridiculous. Whatever. That That's somebody with a, with a bias. <laughs> to, to be that far off, that's, yeah. That a Coastal Carolina graduate. <laughs> that one's a little iffy. <laughs> The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. You know what? We're two days into the offseason for college football, and already, Jason, I'm itching for more because of what BYU football did. So hit it. Countdown to the Wildcats. 232, 232 days away from BYU and Arizona. Once again, opening up a college football season against each other. The BYU Cougars did this in 2007 against Arizona. They did it in 2006, the year before that. They did it in 2016, 2018, and now they're going to do it in 2021, but this time in Las Vegas, Jason. My real question is, and I have a question this time, actually, (laughs) how does BYU football capitalize on the momentum from an unbelievable 2020 season and push this thing in the right direction towards next fall? Look, for me, there are two things that stand out in terms of how BYU can capitalize on it. The first one I want to start with, and I think it's probably the most obvious one, is recruiting. Before I make a couple of points, there's a little tease ahead to our interview with Steve Young. This is actually something that Steve Young talked about in the interview you'll hear in about 10 minutes. Check this out. We have not been great recruiters. I'm sorry, that's just a fact. Uh, We're losing 
uh, great athletes out of Utah. We have for 10 years that are headed to, to other schools, the Pac-12. And with this year, we can go recruit. We can go argue that you're going to be, you know, you can go pro. See, that's from Steve Young, okay? Now, you and I saying it, it's one thing. Steve Young talking about how you the recruiting aspect of this could be massive. Yeah. I, I agree with him. Look, and maybe some of this we saw at the early signing period. You know, Logan Fano, guys like Raider DeMooney, guys like that. Does BYU get those guys if they don't have the 2020 right. season they did? You, 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 you probably saw a little bit of it there. I think where you may see even more of it and where BYU can capitalize in terms of the recruiting aspect is probably next year's recruiting class. Because now you have this entire recruiting period to talk about what you did last year. Look what we did last year. And, and Steve talked about the narrative that BYU that you can go – to the NFL, you know, there, there is this narrative out there by a lot of people, and, and I think it's certainly used as negative recruiting against BYU. Well, if you have aspirations of going to the NFL, you don't want to go to BYU. Well, this last season, certainly it puts a, a damper on that argument against the Cougars. So I, I agree with what Steve said. This is also something from a recruiting standpoint. says, hey, look, we've got a guy. Now, we obviously don't know yet where Zach Wilson's going to go, but let's just say he's, whatever, whether he's not his top – two or not, uh, he's going to be a top five, top ten pick. You come here and play quarterback, you have a chance to be a top ten pick. You have a, go, you play offensive line, you have an opportunity to be drafted You know, day one, day two. You know what I'm saying? Th- that, that narrative goes away. The other aspect beyond the recruiting, I think, that BYU can capitalize is financially. How, though? Because we're $20 million in debt. But here's, here's a couple of things I look at. Season tickets. Okay. Now we're obviously assuming that fans are allowed back in, but gotta you, you, you got to go. You got to assume that we are. So you have an opportunity to maybe sell more season tickets. People are energized, so you have an opportunity to do yeah, that. Oh, well, I think the fans want to be there. Absolutely, clearly. How about how about gear? More BYU gear. Look, everybody has every BYU fan probably has gear. But when you come off a season like that, you're probably a little more amped to go buy the newest thing at the at the BYU store. Official outfitter of BYU fans <laughs> everywhere. And, how, and this one, I think, is, is maybe even the most important, donors. Donors may be a little more willing to open up the old pocketbook. Well, and Jason, I said we're $20 million in debt, a little bit in jest, because you look at the all-in process right, right now, we're up to over $12 million raised from thousands yes. of donors, using your word, that are trying to inject financial life back into the program right out of their own pocket. There are a lot of things. Recruiting, the, the financial aspect of it, those are the two things that really stand out to me in terms of how BYU can really capitalize on just an unbelievable 2020 season. I'm hoping that recruiting includes in-home visits again because it basically shut down everything for these major college football programs, which is why, and I have some friends that are spread across different programs, high-level college football, Clemson, Alabama, that have said coaches are on the phone all the time, FaceTiming with guys. Shout out to Tyson Hutchins, who uh, is one of the photographers for Clemson's football team. And he said, we've reached a day and age where coaches literally are on the field of the, the playoff game saying, hey, we're here. You can experience this because they have to. There's, there's nothing else that they can do. Everything is done virtually. Shout out to the NFL PA Bowl as well. So, Jason – I'm hoping that there are in-home visits because if that becomes a thing, pageantry returns to college football, then yeah, BYU can capitalize on all those things. But what if it's not? Then what? I still think BYU has an advantage. 
because of the notoriety and the publicity they generated. So, and we've already seen it. You know, Logan Fano and Raider DeMuni are not two little recruits for this BYU football team. I know that they're going to go on missions, and most of these guys aren't going to play at BYU for at least three years, at least step on the field. But it matters. Recruiting is the lifeblood of any program. Also, going back to something that Steve Young has said for years on this show, and that is you need to have an exciting brand of football so that people want to watch and want to play there. Uh, BYU was the epitome of an exciting brand of football, and now they've got the schedule back to match. So say what you will, fans, about, ah, it's too tough or too many power fives. The players want that opportunity. It's a selling point to get players to BYU. So pushing it forward, BYU and Tom Homo, they have something going with the schedule. Now paying it off in a big way against a tougher schedule, we wait and see. But recruiting is the lifeblood. Big-time schedule, exciting brand of football. Just chuck the ball all over the field, and that's what BYU did, and look how it resurrected the program. Jerem, this is a loaded question to begin, because BYU just doesn't win in Moraga all that often for starters, but they close out the game on a 19-2 run. St. Mary's didn't score for over 10 minutes. There were clutch shots all over the place. Performances from Gideon George and Trevin Nell that were much needed. What was the best thing you saw from BYU's win against St. Mary's and Moraga last night? Randy Bennett not wearing a suit. No, uh, <laughs> no, it was it was great to see BYU's defense just at an incredible level. Gideon George changed the game. So the defensively, he was matched up with Tommy Cousy. If St. Mary's point guard can't run the offense, Della Vadova, Emmett Nar, Jordan Ford. And now uh, Tommy Cousy, no relation to Bob because it's spelled differently. Then they can't do anything. They just can't run their offense. And they're, they just don't score a ton of points. They're like sub 60 the last five. BYU's going to win that game in most instances. But at halftime, BYU was down and had to make adjustments. St. Mary's does not score a basket. They make two free throws in the final 10 36, a 19 to 2 run. And it was amazing. BYU kept rebounding tough. BYU went to this different game plan where they were going to throw it into the bigs and they were going to get baskets and offensive rebounds. And this was a glorious defensive performance for BYU, who's known mainly for its offense. Remember, top three-point shooting team in the country last year. This is a different group. You have to do it with who you have. And BYU came in and made an adjustment mid-game that made all the difference. And that's a big win. I can't believe BYU's only won twice there, but there it is. It's unbelievable that BYU in both wins against St. Mary's has only made one three-pointer in each of those games. That is wild. A combined two for 18 in the two wins they've had in Moraga. How do we explain that? That's just super crazy. That said, one of the bigger shots that was taken late in the game, which is part of what was the best thing that I saw from last night, was Brandon Abert shooting a three. He gets his shot blocked, follows his shot, and scores a reverse layup with the shot clock winding down. It was like he was the only one that knew what was happening. Nine other guys on the floor all waiting for the rebound to happens. come down. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, oh, man, that, that shot got blocked, and I got to score. And he does it just in the nick of time. And that at that moment, I thought, there's no way BYU's going to lose this game. And it just doubled down on big shot Brandon, that ideology. He loves to have the ball in his hands late in games. Doesn't matter if he hasn't hit a shot. He hasn't been good at San Diego State. He took the biggest shot and made the biggest shot in that road win. So it's it's comforting to know that 
not only is Alex Barcelo going to take and make some big shots late in the game and you feel comfortable with him having the ball, the entire backcourt, Jerem, that, that just to me, that was the most comforting, best thing that I saw was Brandon Averett again stepping up in the clutch, making big free throws, and, and the willingness that he had to take the big shot late to help BYU close out that game. Yeah, really important, that ABBA backcourt that we coined uh, you know, during the summer, really important. And it's Alex Barcelo and some dudes right now. I would love for this rotation to tighten down just a touch, uh, but good stuff from Gideon George. We've, we saw some role players step up. Trevendale gets his first start. I, th- I think it's significant that he had seven points, knocked down the first three of the game, three rebounds. He was confident, played solid defense. That was important because Nell is a guy that replaced Connor Harding in the lineup. Harding didn't play very much, had that layup in transition. But uh, this is a team still finding its identity, and they found a different way to win, which is really important. This has been a tough place to play. Like we said, this has been tougher than Spokane, which is just insane. But a uh, great win for BYU. And- So with the win at St. Mary's, let's look at BYU's tournament resume. Up seven in net to a season-high 35. That's a great spot. Up nine in Kempom to 56. ESPN BPI at 42. Sagarin 31. Yeah. Most importantly, though, back in Lenardi's bracket as the last team in right now. What do you think? I'm loving the fact that BYU has three <laughs> quadrant one victories already. It's mid-January, Jerem, and BYU has as many quad one victories as that magical team had all of last year. BYU will That's obviously crazy. have another opportunity, or maybe two, depending on who they face in Las Vegas and where those teams are ranked in the net rankings at Quad 1 games. But they've already got three, which is huge. I counted the number of teams in college basketball that have three Quad 1 victories right now. There are nine. Nine out of 350-plus teams, or 330, whatever the number is now, that have three quarter run victories. This is elite company, which is why BYU's numbers have really taken a boost. So I put it out there yesterday on the show. I said, look, this to me is the biggest remaining game on the schedule in the regular season based on the context of it's BYU's best opportunity to get to that number three mark in the quad one category. So huge. I mean, just big time clutch win by BYU, as ugly as it was at times, they're pacing and in a very, very good direction to make the NCAA tournament. I, I don't know that I agree that they're the last team in or you know, one of the final two teams in, whatever Lenardi has them at in the moment, because I think their resume is going to resonate more with the tournament selection committee. I, I like BYU right now in the tournament. Yeah! And that's right. That's right. Uh, the three quad one wins. So what is it? San Diego State, Utah State, and St. Mary's? Yes. Those three? So St. John's neutral, probably going to be quad two. Um, yeah, listen, BYU's, and here's the thing. BYU's three losses, those teams are 35 and three, and all in the top 20 of net. So that's uh, Gonzaga, obviously, the number one team in the country, number two in net as of today. They dropped, oh, they're not even good anymore. They're two. Uh, USC, and then uh, Boise State has yeah. been a surprise, right? Boise State is one that you look back and you go, why did BYU go down 14 nothing in that game? Um, otherwise, BYU probably wins that at home, and they, they lose it uh, at the last second there. So, yeah, I, I like where BYU's at. I feel pretty good about that. I think those three quad one wins will stay quad one, which is good. How about Utah State, by the way, beating San Diego State last night at home handily? Yeah. It means Kate just showed up. So that, 
that hurts the San Diego State win a little bit, but I think it's a net gain by Utah State being better. Nine in a row for Utah State. Last loss was BYU, so that's great. Uh, go Aggies, keep it going, help the resume. Utah, however, you can just lose every game. I'd be fine with that. Uh, five and five uh, beat Stanford last night, but it it's looking good. Uh, team rankings says 82% chance to make the tourney. That's a good number. It wasn't until last night's win, Spencer, where I felt like, yes, BYU is an NCAA tournament team. Because BYU's done some nice things, but I just was looking around at all the metrics going, wait, is BYU going to be in or what's going on? Today, I feel confident that BYU will go in. And Ken Palm, we'll talk about it later, but Ken Palm has BYU winning the next 10. Um, that would be nice. If BYU goes 8-2, and two, I feel good, let alone the next 10. And then you have Gonzaga at home in theory uh, near the end of the year. They may move that game up to February 6th. We don't know the date of the next Gonzaga game, 6th through the 27th. But, yeah, so, so far, so good, man. Uh, in Lenardi's bracket, 11 in the athletic, uh, 9 seed with Fox Sports prior to last night. So Solid. People think BYU is an NCAA tournament team, and you live off of last year a little bit and, and the reputation, but this is a different group. BYU lost three top 50 players in program history. It's hard to replace that. But uh, the Cougars have found it in a different way. Yeah, and Jay Billis has uh, the Cougars as a tournament team in his field of 68. So all things pointing towards BYU being in the NCAA tournament. And I had this thought last night as we are going to transition into our question of the day, Jerem, that and I, I hate when I do this, but I thought, man, I really wish we would have seen last year's team in the NCAA tournament. Stop. Stop. <laughs> oh. Oh, I know. Six seed going to the I Sweet know. 16, hopefully. Uh, challenging, you know, beating an 11, taking on what, a three? Ugh. Yeah, in, in the victory. I don't, I, mean, I, I don't want to talk about it. I know, I know. In the midst of all the happiness, I just, I had that wave of sadness come across my mind for a moment. But let's quickly push that away. Hell is what would have been, right? So I don't <laughs> yes. want to talk about no, that. Let's, let's push, push it away and focus on the good. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline, a man who we have made time for today. He is a consensus All-American at BYU in 2009, a Super Bowl champion, all-around good man, Dennis Pitta, joining us again on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Dennis, welcome back to the show. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Better knowing that Jerem is not with us today. If I were him, I would probably have skipped today as well. So. <laughs> Once he once he saw that you were on the the guest lineup, he's like, you know what? I'm no. gonna take I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a me day. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah, smart move. I mean, he he cannot battle me in intellect. I'm a better speaker than him. I I would skip today as well, like I mentioned. <laughs> All right, Dennis. Uh, we couldn't help but notice uh, the Arizona posse of former BYU football legends gathering together and now coaching high school football. Ty Detmer's taking over as the head coach at ALA. Max Hall's the offensive coordinator. Are you on the staff? I mean, I know you've been helping him, but are you officially on that staff? Uh, I am. I don't get paid, so no, I'm not technically uh, on the payroll, but uh, I, I do work with them, and I've been working with Max at ALA for the last two years. I actually made myself special teams coordinator last season, so I give myself that own title, but 
Um, I've been coaching wide receivers. He kind of roped me into it a couple of years ago. He's been coaching there for, I think, six years now. So it, it's been a lot of fun. And we just got Ty into the fold now. Ty was kind of a regional athletic director. I think he still has that title for a lot of the ALA schools out here in Arizona. Um, but they just brought him on to be our head coach now. So we got a good little staff. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I, I really enjoy working with Max. And it'll be a lot of fun to, to bring Ty into the fold. Did you make yourself the special teams coordinator based on convincing Kalani Sitake to challenge a special teams play a few years ago <laughs> against Arizona? Um, I'm, I'm happy you remember that because we were dead wrong when we were telling <laughs> Kalani to, to challenge that one. It, it did appear from our angle, though, on the sideline that it hit the opposing team's foot and that we should have challenged it. And we were in his ear and he listened to us. I don't know why, but he listened to us. And uh, from that moment on, I realized, man, I need to, I need to stay out of coaching and stay out of special teams. But um, here I am special teams coordinator for ALA. So let's go. Well, Hey, you know what? And if you mix in maybe some offensive line coaching, BYU's looking for an offensive line coach. Maybe you want to throw your hat into that ring. Um, I don't actually, I enjoy a, uh, a part-time gig in the coaching world. That is a, um, that is a full commitment there being the offensive line coach. And listen, I'm a finesse player. I, I, uh, I never liked blocking, so I'm, I'm not wanting to put my, you know, put my name in the hat there and, and have to hang out with those big, ugly guys all the time. Well, BYU football in 2020, surprisingly, or maybe not, took a lot of credit for not being so finesse. In fact, Jeff Grimes was big on the, uh, what did he call it? The, not the run pass option, but the run. RVO. Oh, yeah, the run violent Violent option, option, Dennis. What did you think of BYU's offensive attack overall in 2020 under Jeff Grimes? Well, it's hard to say anything negative about it. I mean, it was tremendous and it really started up front. You know, we were just talking about the offensive line and they were unbelievable this past year. Um, Listen, I am a firm believer that football is one in the trenches and it's one on the offense and defensive lines. And BYU was tremendous there, especially on the offensive line uh, this past season. I mean, they were knocking people off the ball. And when you can consistently win the line of scrimmage, you're going to win a lot of football games, no matter who your receivers are, no matter who your running backs are, you're going to be able to move the football and BYU dominated the offensive line. And that's a big reason for their success. What did you, now that you can kind of look back at its entirety, what did you make of the season that Zach Wilson had and the situation that he has put himself in heading into the NFL draft? Yeah. I mean, could you have had a better season? I mean, (laughs) he went from a guy who we didn't know really where where he was going to get drafted or if he was going to get drafted or, you know, him in the draft coming out early, that wasn't really a topic of conversation leading into this season. But now, I mean, arguably potentially the number two overall pick. I mean, personally, <clears throat> I, I hope he kind of goes a little bit later for his own sake because so much of the NFL is fit and being on the right situation and the right team and all that. And I'm not sure being a part of the Jets at number two right now is his best option. But um, as far as his season went, I mean, he, he was – tremendous and there's a big reason why he's considered the number two quarterback going into the draft because he's got all the physical tools I mean he can throw from any angle he can um, throw any ball on the field he's got tremendous arm strength he's poised Um, the physical components are there now in the NFL like I mentioned it's a lot about situation and it's a lot about your mental fortitude and what you can do there and so that's what he'll have to prove when he gets to the next level can he mentally handle the NFL game 
because physically he certainly can. Former NFL tight end, BYU All-American and Super Bowl champion Dennis Pitta with us on BYU Sports Nation. Dennis, the projections for Zach are all over the map. We've seen everything from the Jets at number two to the Falcons at four, Carolina at number eight, San Francisco at number 12. Maybe there's a team that trades up. In your opinion, where is the best fit for Zach Wilson right now? Well, those teams you mentioned, I think Carolina's one. Uh, I think you said they're at pick number eight. Uh, that's a great coaching staff, in my opinion. Matt Rule has done a really nice job in his first year, and they need a quarterback. I know they had Teddy Bridgewater there, which I think would be a great situation for Zach. He could potentially sit and wait in the wings for a year and learn and, and really study the game, which I think is so important in today's game. Um, that would be a tremendous fit. And then you look at the 49ers. Um, I don't know if there's a better fit in the entire league than being able to go and play for Shanahan there in, in the 49ers organization. It's a tremendous organization. Uh, it's a perfect offense for any quarterback. I mean, Shanahan was with Matt Ryan. He was the MVP Wh- wherever he's gone. Mm. He's been able to, to develop quarterbacks and make them into stars. And so um, if I were Zach and I was looking at all these teams, I would think Carolina would be a great situation, but I would want to go to the, the 49ers if I could choose. Um, a lot of those other teams, the Falcons, the Jets, there's just, they're in rebuilding mode. You don't know who their coaching staff's going to be. You don't know who their offensive coordinator is going to be. You just, they're just a, in a team, they're in a state of transition. And it makes it really hard on a quarterback to have to try and rebuild and, and do all that. But um, the 49ers have stability, they're a tremendous roster. They just really need to find uh, that last little piece at quarterback. I don't think Garoppolo has really been the answer for them. And I think if he could somehow fall to the 49ers um, or the 49ers could somehow trade up, I think that's the best situation possible. Dennis, let's stay with the NFL conversation. And as somebody who obviously has experienced this and been to the top of the mountain in the NFL – what does it mean to you to see so many former Cougars in the league right now, and not just on rosters, but making significant impacts on teams in the playoffs that have legitimate chance to win Super Bowls right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome to see. And it's always great when BYU is well-represented in the NFL. And listen, I think if you're looking at all the guys this year, um, yeah, you got guys playing in the postseason. But of all those guys, I, I look at Fred Warner, mm. a first-team All-Pro. I mean – Listen, Pro Bowl is great, um, but really what matters in the NFL is the All-Pro designation. And to be a first-team All-Pro means you are the top player at your position, and that is Fred Warner. And so I know Taysom's had a good year and what he's been able to do and, and had some tremendous starts for the Saints. Um, Taki Taki has played really well for the Browns, and they continue to move on in the postseason. Kyle Van Noy had a good season. Obviously, Daniel Sorensen and the Chiefs will always be in it. Um, but if I'm looking at one specific player for BYU, that's, you know, an absolute superstar. It's Fred Warner. And he continues to ascend as a player. Um, anyone you talk to in the 49ers organization, I've got a couple of friends on that team. And they just say from day one, he, he was a leader. He was a tremendous player. And rightfully so. He's a first team all pro, which is a big, big deal in the NFL. Dennis Pitta with us on BYU Sports Nation, former NFL tight end. Let's talk about that position group at BYU because – we all kind of held our breath once Matt Bushman went down with the unfortunate Achilles injury and looked at a very young core this year, wondering, okay, what kind of production is BYU going to get from the tight end position? Uh, let's talk about both ends of that spectrum. First, Matt Bushman. Uh, coming off that injury with his NFL aspirations, what do you think his shot of making it in the NFL is right now? 
Well, I think he's got a good shot. Um, it, it's so unfortunate what happened to Matt. And, and I know Matt well, and I've, I've stayed in close contact with him throughout uh, his career at BYU. And he's such a good guy and a good player and uh, has so much upside. It, it's heartbreaking to watch injuries like that. And I know all too well how injuries can de derail your career. Um, fortunately for him, it happened early where he can kind of rehab and get back and be ready to go for for all the off-season stuff that he's got to deal with leading up to the draft process. And, and listen, whether he gets drafted or not, I think he's going to get an opportunity. And uh, he's going to be in a camp somewhere, and he's going to get a chance to really show what he's capable of. And that's all that matters in this league. Listen, getting drafted is great and all, but there are so many guys in the, in the league that were undrafted. There's so many guys in the league that came from small schools. When you get to the NFL, they don't care where you came from, how you got there. They care about how do you play right now? Can you help us? Can you contribute? And I think Matt Bushman's got a tremendous shot at making a roster, at being able to contribute on a team. He's got skills that translate to the next level. He can catch the ball in traffic. He can high point the ball. He's got strong hands. He's a good route runner. Um, who cares about blocking? I didn't block anyways. I mean, <laughs> nobody cares about that. There's guys in the NFL that will block. You just need to catch the ball. And if you can do that and be a mismatch and be able to go and high point the ball and make terrific catches. And listen, it starts in practice. You got to be able to do this stuff in practice. If you can, if you can make great plays in practice, like he's capable of doing, he'll make a roster. What about Isaac Rex? Dennis, he had a fantastic freshman season and was so sure handed and you could always count on him. What did you make of his season? It, it, just a freshman going into his sophomore year. How good can this guy be? Yeah, it was okay. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> is 12 touchdowns? Is that, do we, is that good? That's good. <laughs> that is? Okay. Um, listen, Isaac Rex had an unbelievable – I mean, he's a freshman. Freshman, right? 12 touchdowns? I never had – I never sniffed double-digit touchdowns in my career and in any given season, and he's got 12 as a freshman, so – um, what a tr you can't say more about the season that he had. It was an unbelievable season. Um, he's an incredibly sure-handed receiver. We talked about being able to go up and make a tough catch and high point the ball. Uh, he's got that. He, he's such a young player. I mean, there's so much room for development and improvement in his game. Um, but the things that you can't teach a player, the ability to just be able to go up and make a play, um, to be a threat in the red zone. I mean, he's a huge target. And when you're a big target and you can go up and make catches, I mean, that's a big deal. And uh, you saw his, his value in the red zone and, and the trust that he developed with Zach Wilson. Now, you have to keep in mind, there's a really good tight end coming off his mission, Austin Holker, who had a tremendous freshman season as well before he left. And uh, I remember talking with Coach Grimes prior to their season when Austin was a freshman. And they were raving about this kid. They thought he was unbelievable. Yeah. So now you're going to have Isaac Rex, who just scored 12 touchdowns this past season. And now you add Austin Holker to the mix, a guy that's probably a little bit um, speedier of a, of a tight end, a, a probably shiftier, faster route runner. And you add those two together, and you have a double whammy at tight end, and you have a really good combination. And uh, that's what I'm excited to see is how they're going to be able to utilize both those guys. And listen, there's still a lot of talented tight ends in that room. Um, I mean, shoot, you got Bentley Hanshaw, a guy from, from my old high school, yes. Park High School. You know, hopefully he, he can break through. There's a, there's a lot of talent in that group. And uh, 
it's just going to be exciting to see how they're able to utilize all those guys because because they have different strengths and weaknesses. I mean, you have a guy who in, in Isaac Rex who can be a giant mismatch in the red zone, um, and then other guys who can do so much stuff in the open field, and it, it's going to be exciting to see how they um, unroll and unleash all these different guys in a variety of roles. I think the tight end position over the next three or four years is going to be a huge position of strength, which, you know, before Matt Bushman, they didn't really have. And uh, now you've got really two guys, maybe three, who knows, maybe more that can really contribute and really be factors down the field. Doesn't hurt that your boy Holker wears number 32, right? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Probably a big Jimmer fan, but you know, nonetheless, yeah, happy to see 32 well represented on the field. Yes. Uh, he, he's the real greatest everywhere. Number 32, Dennis Pettit with the zombie sports station. <laughs> Congratulations on your Baltimore Ravens winning and uh, Lamar Jackson getting to the second round of the playoffs as well, man. Yeah, it was time. It was time. Lamar Jackson was 0-2 in the playoffs. It was a big game for him. He finally got over the hump and, uh, now they're on to the Buffalo Bills, which will be a, a uh, very difficult test for them. But I'll be out there. I'm traveling out to the game, so I'll uh, witness it firsthand, and hopefully they can come away with another win and get in the AFC Championship game. All right, brother. Same travels. Yeah, dress warm. Hopefully you're in uh, a heated room. Is it cold there? <laughs> Maybe a little chilly there, Dennis. Okay. I appreciate the advice. A little colder than Arizona. <laughs> All right. Give our best to Ty and Max as well, man. Thanks so much for the time. I will. Do not say hello to Jerem from me, but I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> Fair enough. We will not do that. Dennis Pitta with us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. He's the best. He is the best. Tight ends coach Steve Clark's like, please, you have to block. We really do need you to block, though. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. It's time for Top 5 Tuesday, presented by Delta Airlines Keep Climbing. Following Sione Takitaki's interception to seal a win for the Cleveland Browns, playoff road victory, their first since the 1960s, we look back at the top five biggest interceptions in BYU history. Number five, we go back all the way to 2019. Diane Gawolaku intercepting Trojan quarterback Keaton Slovis to end the game. Third and six in OT. BYU wins 30-27 to over number 24 USC. BYU Big better win. than the Trojans in 2019 and 2020. Number four, 1990. Top-ranked Miami at BYU. Six minutes left in the game. Irvin Lee intercepts heralded quarterback Craig Erickson in the end zone to preserve a 28-21 BYU lead against number one Miami. Huge play and arguably the best win in Cougar football history. Number three, back in 2015, Kai Nakua intercepts Ryan Finley and returns it 50 yards for a touchdown. The touchdown puts BYU up 35-24 with 30 seconds left to beat number 20, Boise State. Get Look in at there. that. Look at that. Look at that crowd, too. Incredible. Number two, 2001, the rivalry. Gernaro Guilford, current cornerback's coach at BYU. Hey, do uh, that, yeah. guys. Picks off Lance Rice of Utah at the BYU 20-yard line to seal the win over the Utes at the time, preserving a perfect BYU season. Give me that! Which brings us to number one, the 1997 Cotton Bowl. 
You know what we're talking about. Omar Morgan intercepts Brian Kavanaugh on the BYU three-yard line to seal the deal. One minute left. BYU leads 19-15. K-State on the BYU 12-yard line. The interception seals the victory. Cougars take down number 14, Kansas State. Number one's got to feel like number one. I love the call. <laughs> also, the story about Ed Keel recognizing the cadence and the audible at the line and turning around to Omar Morgan and saying, they're going to run a quick slant. Gave him the heads up, sealed the win for BYU. Very cool. Such a great win for BYU. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Let's get to the preview of a rivalry showdown between the Cougars and Gales and do so as we had an opportunity to speak recently with Caleb Lohner, the Swagmaster of BYU Basketball. He joined us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Caleb, your fashion sense has received a lot of attention, understandably so. Have you solidified yourself, even as a freshman, as this BYU basketball team's fashion guru? Um, I mean, I think so, a little bit. <laughs> um, not on purpose, but, I mean, that's just kind of what I do and what I wear. Like, I, I enjoy dressing up in certain ways, and, yeah, it's been fun. How would you describe your fashion style? Someone says, what's your style? How would you say, what would you say? I kind of like, I kind of like the older sense of fashion. And when I say that, I mean, like, 90s grunge, hip-hop, I like baggy clothes, um, cool like graphic tees, um, band t-shirts. Um, I love hats, but I kind of just throw anything together and wear it. Um, like any cool color combination with a cool pair of shoes, anything that looks good. Um, but I would say it's pretty sporadic. I'm kind of all over the place, but I do enjoy wearing cool stuff. We can get on board for that, and your Nirvana t-shirt is certainly doubling down on your fashion sense right now. Caleb Lohner is with us on BYU Sports Nation. BYU basketball under Mark Pope has never lost back-to-back games. Of course, you're coming off a significant loss to Gonzaga. You're at St. Mary's, then at San Francisco. What would you learn about your team in that tough Gonzaga game? Um, You know, I was really proud of our guys, and now we just kept fighting. I think we started off the wrong way. Um, there were certain things we could have done better. Like we've been over all of it. All of us know like what we need to do, but I would say, I think if anything, a lot of the times when you lose big games like that, your team can kind of pull apart. And I've been really proud of the way we've kind of come together. We've been going over things, watching film, fixing stuff in practice, and we'll be ready to go on Thursday. You know, outside Caleb of the, the first couple of minutes, you guys had some stretches where you played really, really well. What are some things that you can build off of in that game during those stretches moving forward? I think what we realize is sticking to what we do and what we practice and our basic principles is how we are a good team. And so I think there's a few times in the game we kind of went away from some of that, um, started kind of trying to do our own thing maybe. But I think what we learned and what we understand is if we stick with what we do Um, what we know how to do and what we're familiar with and how we play BYU basketball, then we're going to be all right. 
Caleb, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that you are going to play two games this week based on what's happened uh, early in the West Coast Conference campaign? I mean, I'm I'm pretty confident. <laughs> but again, we just have no idea, which sucks. But it's just part of this uh, game this year and how COVID's affected basketball. But we're going to be ready no matter what and keep having fun and keep playing this game. You know, I was actually talking with Coach Feger about that very thing before the Gonzaga game. And, and I'm curious, as a player, take me through what that's like, because all you can do is prepare for the games. You can't control whether or not they're played or not. So in terms of the preparation, yeah. I've got to imagine it, it, that part doesn't change. But what's it like to live through this where sometimes you're in the middle of a flight and you find out that you're not going to be able to play? What's that like to go through? It's weird, honestly. Like... We were, yeah, we were on a plane. Coach got a phone call and we turned around. Like, you would never, ever expect that. But, again, it's just part of it. We spent last week preparing uh, and the week before preparing for two games that both got canceled. We spent four or five days preparing for one game and then a few days after that preparing for the next game. They ended up both getting canceled and we had to kind of switch our minds and move on. How much of a rust factor was involved when you took the floor finally against Gonzaga? Um, I think maybe a little bit. Like, we hadn't played since, I think, the 22nd. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's just something that we got to figure out how to adapt to because it could happen again. We don't know. It's just kind of how things are. And so, yeah. What's been the focus this week as you guys prepare for a big road game at Moraga against St. Mary's? Um, just doing what we do, playing BYU basketball, moving the ball, rebounding, playing defense, um, kind of all the principles that, we've, um, that we go over all year, kind of the core of what we call BYU basketball. And so, like, we've been watching film, we've been practicing, it's been really competitive, we've been going against each other, and it's been really good. I think we're going to be ready for these games. Have your teammates explained to you the discord and dislike that BYU basketball fans have for St. Mary's? <laughs> yeah, they have. Uh, so this will be a fun game. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb, it's great to talk with you, man. Let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma for the games against St. Mary's in San Francisco. Keep it up with the fashion sense, too, brother. Appreciate it. Caleb Lohner on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. It is our pleasure to welcome in from the Bay Area in California, San Francisco to be specific, one of the heroes of last night's BYU win at St. Mary's, Brandon Averett, joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. B.A., happy Friday, man. How are you? Happy Friday to you guys, too. I'm great. You know, thanks thanks for having me on here. Uh, Understandably. I just want to know at what point – your coach said, hey, all we need to do is go on a 19-2 to run, and we're good to close out the game. So when did that come into the plan? Um, he, never, he never said it, but, I mean, uh, I was kind of on the bench just, just thinking because the whole game we hadn't really been on a run. So I was like, okay, our run's coming sometime, but we don't really know when, but we're just going to keep battling it out until it comes. And, and it finally came in the last four or five minutes, and 
and it felt great out there. Four or five minutes, it was 10.36 where St. Mary's didn't score a field goal, Brandon. I mean, that's just crazy. Gideon George certainly plays a big factor in that, shutting down Tommy Cousy, and, and he's the genesis of everything they do offensively. So what was it like as that started and you kept it going in way to a double-digit win? Uh, I mean, it, it felt great, to be honest. You know, I mean, we just kind of took it play by play. We didn't, we didn't really look ahead of ourselves. We just, we just, we told ourselves we need, we need to stop this possession. We need to make sure we get a good, good shot this next possession. And we kind of just, just took it that, took it that way throughout the whole last ten minutes, like you were saying, possession by possession. And and we chipped away, and we kept, we kept going once we got the lead, and we ended up ten, we ended up up ten at the end of the game. So. And without question, the defense stepped up. The rebounding was great. A lid was on the basket for St. Mary's. But BYU, as a team trailing by seven when that, ran, uh, that run began, what changed offensively for you guys uh, specifically to help you get scoring when you yourselves were trying to take the lid off of the basket on the other end? Uh, I, think, I think we just played with a lot more force. And, and we, started, we, started, we understood the physicality we got through it the first half and the second half, we, we knew what we, we knew what we're, we're coming into. So uh, we, we just went out there and just played with, a, with way more force and, and try to get to the ball to the second, third size in our offense. Just just try to make, make them play a little little more defense and, and see how disciplined they were. And and, and we start and stuff start opening up for us, and and it ended up being a field day. So. Okay, play of the game for me at least was when you shoot a three, but you're blocked, and you're the only guy that looks like. He knows where the ball is. You grab the ball, shot clock's winding down. You kind of bobble it, and then you reverse it for a layup late in the game. That was such a big play. Describe what you saw on that, and how much did you know about the shot clock winding down there? Uh, so, I mean, I knew the shot clock was winding down, and uh, I, I saw him going on in the screen, and I shot it, and he, he was able to get a hand on it. And uh, and he was actually the only person I realized that, that knew that he blocked it. Everybody else went to box out there, man, and – it kind of opened up the lane for me just to go grab the ball. So, I mean, usually I would get back on defense, but I seen he tipped it, and I just went to go straight, just straight to grab it. And uh, I knew the shot clock was was running down, so I knew I had to get the shot up real quick. So, I mean, I bobbled it a little bit, but honestly, I think me bobbling it helped me out because the dude thought it was a pump fake, and he kind of flew by me real quick. So, uh, once once I got a hold of the ball, I just kind of threw it up real fast just to get it on the rim, and, and ended up going in and. It was actually a pretty pretty fun play, to be honest. I, I ended up started laughing afterwards because it's I've never had something like that. Happen, so <laughs> it was pretty cool. You're just laughing up the court. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Brandon Averett with us on BYU Sports Nation. He is BA. In fact, I'm going to start calling you Big Shot Brandon because you've done this on several occasions, Brandon. You did it against San Diego State. You made two big shots last night, some big free throws as well. Not everybody wants to have the ball in their hands and take the last shot in those pressure-packed moments. Why do you want to take those shots? Uh, I mean, I think I, I've, I, in a way I've kind of always been like that. You know, at the end of games, I, I've just always felt good with the ball in my hands. And I've never really been the guy to be nervous. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean I'm not perfect. You know, I, I might miss some shots. I might make some mistakes down the stretch. But, I mean, I've just never been nervous. And I've, I've never been scared to make those mistakes and, and take those risks. So, I mean – I feel like the, all the work I put in is giving me that confidence and, and, and just, just, just being able to stay calm in those moments. So, I mean, I'll give it credit to, to all the work I put in for sure. 
this is a rivalry game. You're coming into this as kind of new to this rivalry, and BYU had only won one game in Moraga ever. What did it mean to the team to get that win last night? Oh, it, it, it felt so good. You know, I mean, uh, I think Connor was saying in his three years, he's never he's never won at St. Mary's. So, I mean, it, it just 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 getting that winning feeling, just just giving him that first win at St. Mary's. I mean, that was my first win, first time playing at St. Mary's. So, I mean, it felt it was so fun out there. It, it felt great, you know. Brandon, we obviously, as analysts and fans of BYU sports, spend a lot of time looking at metrics and bracketology and where BYU's net ranking is and all of these positionings and projections. How much do you pay attention to that or try not to pay attention to those numbers, especially after a big win like you had last night? Uh, yeah, we try not to, to, to um, pay attention to stuff like that. Like, Coach, just he, he preaches just – the importance of just focusing on getting better every single day and the other stuff will take care of itself. You know, I mean, you always have like one, one ear, one ear a little bit in there, but I try not to focus on that. I try to focus on what I need to do to prepare for the next game. What I need to do to, that's going to help us win the next game. And and at the end of the day, that that's what really matters when it comes to the bracketology and, and, and all the numbers and stuff, just, just winning games. So that's where we try to put all our focus in into and just getting better every single day. Well, since you're not paying attention to it, we'll tell you what it is. Uh, BYU is 35 in net, uh, 56 in Kempom. Those are both season highs. So this is the best BYU has been rated in different metrics back in Lenardi's bracket. But like you said, the point is to win. Do you feel like this is an NCAA tournament worthy team right now and that you will be at the end of the year? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, f- I definitely feel that way, you know. Uh, we- we've been getting better every single game, in my opinion, you know. We're, we're kind of just starting to find our offensive identity, and we're a great defensive team. We- 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 we're so dynamic in-, in-, in what we can do offensively and defensively. I, I-, I love this team. I, think- I definitely think we're a tournament team. Brandon Aver with us on BYU Sports Nation. Now let's turn the page to what you face on the Hilltop tomorrow at USF. Very good San Francisco team, top 100 team in the net rankings, and very different makeup compared to what you just played against in St. Mary's. What's the scouting report on USF and how BYU gets a win tomorrow? Uh, we just got to stick to our defensive principles, uh, be there for each other in isolation play. They got They got a couple ISO guys who like to – just trying to try to get to the basket in, in space and stuff like that. So kind of just being in the, in those gaps and, and just talking to each other out there defensively and offense, the offensive end to take care of itself and just, just play with force and, and, and play our game, to be honest. So we're going to do what we always do. We're, we're not going to change much up. We're, we're going to go out there and, and, and do what we've been doing every single game. So. Hey, enjoy the gym because obviously Bill Russell, Casey Jones, Bill Cartwright. That's pretty cool. There's a lot of good history there. So enjoy that gym, man. I got you for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely will enjoy the San, the San Fran alumni gym for sure. So, All right. I can't speak for Jerem here, but I'm going to send Mark Pope a text message uh, in just a minute here and say, just make sure Brandon has the ball in his hands late in the game of the close. <laughs> you cool with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that for sure. <laughs> Brandon, congratulations on a big win. Uh, second win ever for BYU basketball in Moraga. And let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma so you can continue that with a good performance against San Francisco. Thank you so much. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. Yeah, you got it. Brandon Averett with us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why, we show how. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. 
Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio. BYU.